0: This podcast is brought to you by Free Buddhist Audio, the dharma for your life. Our work is funded entirely by donations from our generous listeners. If you would like to help us keep this free, make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. Thank you, and happy listening. Good morning, everyone, and I'm Kamala Siddi, and I have to say I'm very happy this morning to introduce my good friend very good friend Vajrasara who I think um, I'm not surprised has been asked to talk to us this morning about empathy and Quan Yin and I have to say when I was asked to do it I thought the first thing that came to mind was um, I'm one of Vajrasara's good friends but Vajrasara's got many many friends so I think she's very well placed to talk about empathy and um, those of us who are a good friends, she's, Bajrasa is very, um, she's very active in her empathy, so it's not a kind of, it's not necessarily a passive empathy, it's very um, kind of a dynamic, energetic, it's a kind of doing empathy. So Bajrasar is the sort of friend that rings you up several times a year, and she's been thinking about you, and she's considered some plan that you might like to, <laughs> she's got some plan or some, idea that she thinks you might be interested in, you know, like, do I want to work with her, do I want to live with her, do I want to go on this retreat or that retreat or this holiday or that, so she's very, and that's not just me, she's got lots and lots of people that she does this with, and lots of, perhaps not so much good friends, but a whole other kind of mandala of people that she (laughs) takes into account, so... I was thinking in her kind of empathy. It's very active caring. You know, she's really got people in mind. Um, so yeah, and is also um, spending time with Vajrasattva is always very rich and abundant. So it's always fun. It's always there's always lots of laughs, and it's always, it's always interesting and meaningful. So I think we're in for a good morning. So Vajrasattva. Thanks a lot.
1: No pressure then.
2: <laughs>
1: Good morning. So my talk is called The Power of Empathy, or Exploring Empathy, The Art of Listening, and the Mysterious White Lady, Kuan Yin, the Goddess of Compassion. So a nice, short, punchy title. So, um, I was thinking that um, empathy implies an understanding of what matters deeply in life you could say it's the heart's expression of selflessness to reach out with interest and openness to other people um, beyond ourselves so it might feel counterintuitive to move towards someone or something that is uh, well perhaps that we're fearful of or um, scared of or that we react to we dislike But actually it's going with the grain, it's going with the grain of our minds um, as opposed to it, because love actually is the natural human state. Underneath our habits of grasping and rejecting, our greed, hatred and delusion, actually empathy is the natural human state. Love is the natural human state. Um, Because it, it implies an understanding of connection, a recognition of our interconnectedness. So the nature of mind, of consciousness, is that it's always moving. sure you've noticed that. So staying still isn't an option, is it? What do we want to move towards? Connection or disconnection? Love or hatred? Uh, whatever else, openness or contraction? What, what's our choice? What do we want to move towards? And as we know, the world is a very capricious, uncertain place. And our internal world is equally Uh, changeable and uncertain, unstable at least often. So, um, through empathy, yeah. Oh,
2: is it? That's what it
1: is. Okay, just a little technical pitch, yeah. Um, So yeah, through empathy and loving-kindness, we can become really stable and strong. That certain sense of robustness and uh, solidity that we long for, at least I long for, in this changeable world. Um, In a way willing to experience anything with the confidence that it won't rock us, or won't rock us too much anyway. So empathy is the imaginative identification with others. Um, And it isn't just a feeling. So there is warm feeling, warm emotion with it. But it also includes intention... It includes our will and it includes imagination. Imagination I think is a key one, which I hadn't at first realized. (coughs) And crucial to this whole attitude of empathy is this sense of connectedness, that we're all much more connected than we first realized. Um, So even if we feel cut off or isolated, at base we're all relational beings. And we really affect each other. I'm sure you've all noticed that too. So empathy involves becoming aware of what others are truly experiencing and uh, embarrassing to admit that I used to think I was quite aware of what others were experiencing until I became aware of what an art empathy really is. A lot more subtle and a lot more to it than I first knew. So empathy is central to my work as a non-violent communication trainer and I sometimes talk about empathy as going to the other person's mountain going to their ground leaving my own world, or my own mountain of self preoccupation all my own biases and concerns, prejudices, opinions life and going and inhabiting their world seeing what it's like from their point of view um, in a way being alongside them in their highs and lows and I've seen again and again on NVC trainings how um, empathy is irresistible it's just delicious and transformative it's what enables us to approach a furious person and feel okay well maybe a little daunted but still manage because we we can be having our imagination over there in their world trying to inhabit their point of view it's what enables me to walk into quite hot intense mediation sessions in my work and you know maybe a little qualm maybe a few butterflies but actually to to do that to walk into the fire and three things I think enable this so there's um, being present not easy in itself necessarily using our imagination as I've mentioned already and um, listening openly without judgment and curiously I've learned that so long as there's empathy in the room it doesn't really matter where it's come from it doesn't matter whether it's mine or his or hers or whoever's in a way that's not the point so long as someone in there is inhabiting that loving consciousness will be alright it'll kind of do its work may take time and i I think this imaginative identification is intrinsically kind. Um, It takes us out, as I said, of self-preoccupation. And another thing is that empathy creates a climate among you or between you um, whereby more of our experience becomes available to us. We become more aware. Uh, More comes to light. So if someone is really listening to you empathically, you become more aware of more aspects of yourself kind of bigger, more conscious. So the Buddha observed that our minds habitually see separation and uh, otherness Mm -hmm. and uh, yet empathy can bridge that divide. We don't need to know really the details. We don't need to understand the other person. We don't need to like them. We don't need to share any of the history or particularly understand the context. We just need to be mindful of the other and imagine intensely so you have to put a bit of energy into it even Billy Connolly has an angle on empathy he says don't judge another person until you've walked at least a mile in their shoes and then after that who cares you're a mile away and you've got their shoes (laughs) recently I was uh, sharing a difficulty about women's hormones with a male friend of mine and uh, perhaps it was a foolish mistake in the first place and uh, he said well I can't empathise with that can I? And, uh, and of course as a man he couldn't understand the particulars but uh, I rebuked him of course because he could relate to feeling stressed, feeling unconfident wanting some sense of peace and stability of course he could we can, un- we can understand and empathise with anything in human experience if we make the effort. So I heard a touching story of this imaginative leap. Um, There was a tribe in South Kenya, which lives remote from Western technology. And they learnt about the September 11th terrorist attacks many months later, maybe seven or eight months later after they happened. And the tribal elders apparently called a meeting together to discuss what to do about it discussed the tragedy and they decided that they would send their prized possessions. So they decided to send 16 cows to the people of New York. So I see this as a triumph of imagination. We don't know what they imagined actually, how it would be received, how useful it would be or whatever. We don't know what they envisaged but it seems to me a great response of human solidarity literally magnanimous which means a gesture of great soul I found it very moving little story so in empathy there's also respect we see another person and in seeing them we actually give life our attention brings energy I feel respected if I'm seen for who I am so our word respect comes from the Latin respicere or however you pronounce it and which means to regard or consider and to me that's an aspect of empathy careful penetrating attention in looking or in listening changes not only the receiver but the giver it's mutual so what we, what we perceive or what we presume to see which can vary that creates who we are that colours what we see it colours our life So if our view of other people is superficial or stale or boring or whatever well we'll end up feeling that way whereas if we see people as intrinsically interesting and worthy of our notice, worthy of our respect well our world becomes much more open and enriched, doesn't it? The capacity for empathy seems to be innate in human beings but um, I believe it's also evident in other species I heard, for example, of a case of an adult elephant who tried to rescue a baby rhino that was stuck in the mud, uh, despite being charged repeatedly by the rhino, the mother rhino. So it seems like there's just this kind of response to protect, to save, despite the odds, yeah. According to Tibetan Buddhist scriptures, during the era. During the era of the Buddha Kashyapa, which was eons and eons ago, in the mind of a being in a hell realm, uh, there arose a spark of empathy. And this hell being, he saw another person struggling with this huge load that he was trying to pull with some ropes. And uh, this first guy, well, he had this response of empathy and went to help. He took the ropes and started to pull it. And one of the guardians of hell, apparently disapproved of this and beat, beat him to death uh, for presuming I suppose and uh, well in that moment well he died in a compassionate state I suppose and in that moment he, he was reborn in a, a fortunate situation because from that time forward according to the scriptures his compassionate intention took root and eventually he became a bodhisattva and subsequently the Buddha the Buddha Shakyamuni But listening, moving on to listening, listening is intrinsic to empathy. To listen requires us just to move beyond ourselves, just be, move beyond where we currently are. There's a sensitivity and a in it. And after all, if you don't take in the words or the music, well, it's gone forever, hasn't it? You can't reread it like a book uh, unless it's taped. And listening to other people is intrinsically kind. If we listen fully, we're already moving away from egocentricity, it seems to me. So the early disciples of the Buddha were called Shravakas, which translates as hearers, hearers of the Buddha. And that word hearers never really grabbed me. Do I want to be a hearer? Doesn't sound too exciting. But listening seems to me more active. More receptive, more engaged in a way. It it calls for more of us. Um, it suggests really attending. Listening has been a conscious practice for me for the last seven or eight years. Listening to myself more in meditation. Listening to other people. Listening to my body. Um, in nonviolent communication, we talk about listening afresh or trying to listen with fresh ears or new ears. Everybody longs to be heard and uh, this comes up astonishingly often in workshops I run. Sometimes it's the key thing if people are asked for one thing they'd like to change they say I'd really love to be heard by my family, my partner, my friends, whoever it is. Indeed in NVC circles there's a saying that goes what people really need is a good listening to. So I can only listen if I silence the inner voices that distract me from another person. In The Power of Kindness, Piero Ferrucci describes how reciprocal it is. Listening he says is a magnificent art. It regenerates and stimulates the speaker. And it brings mutual peace because as the listener you need to empty yourself of yourself. And so while you're listening you're actually free. And of course there's not just outer listening, there's inner listening, isn't there? (coughs) Listening to our intuitions, our intentions, our imagination and so on. In meditation I sometimes think of it as listening to the silence, listening with every cell of my being. But it's a challenge in our high-speed lives to take the time to pause long enough to listen. So different from that sort of glancing one-touch just catch the headlines think we know it already approach that so many of us fall into and it's vital as well to listen to the underlying motivations of other people not just their words perhaps listening to what's not said or what's revealed non-verbally so in daily life to be empathic we need to give time and in our accelerated lifestyles finding time can be hard it can be a stretch can't it and yet the more we hurry usually the more we're less willing to help I remember working um, in a Buddhist restaurant some time ago when we were really up against deadlines and I remember saying to one of my teammates I haven't got time to smile at the customers (laughs) I mean it's just ridiculous it didn't take any more time but I just had that feeling that I was so under pressure I hadn't got time to (laughs) move my face Apparently, hurry and impatience are supposedly fueled by a fear of death, kind of on a on a lower level. Um, but when we free ourselves from that need to achieve, compete, or be too goal-oriented, task orientated, actually something softer emerges. Certainly does in me. People no longer seem like obstacles to our hurry. The philosopher Martin Buber famously argued that mankind needs to go go beyond this I-it way of relating probably some of you have read what he says and that we find meaning only in I-that relationships something much more equal so it's a pure relating of person to person not with any expectations or hopes or assumptions about the other our teacher Sangharakstha says something similar uh, about relating to people cleanly, without thinking about the use or the pleasure that they can bring us. And yet it's quite hard. So often we do want things from people, don't we? i also read that the cerebral activities of empathy occur in the same place as that of forgiving. Same area of the brain. So there's a neurological link. Indeed, in NVC we say that where there is genuine empathy, forgiving, forgiving is unnecessary, it's already happened. Um, so long as we're flexible enough to let go of past hurts, because we can be quite attached to being, I'm the one, to whom, who was done to in some way. So if we can let go of that, anything can open up. Are we more concerned to understand or to judge? So empathy is a real root to understanding and understanding is so much isn't it heaps there's an ancient Chinese proverb that goes understand the opponent and you can overcome them understand yourself and there is no opponent (coughs) I saw the film Invictus lately which probably some of you will have seen uh, which is about Nelson Mandela and the South African rugby team well actually it's really about racial reconciliation after apartheid and Morgan Freeman who is playing uh, Nelson Mandela now in power uh, says forgiveness liberates the soul it removes fear that's why it's such a powerful weapon and Mandela urges his black companions or his colleagues not to retaliate for all the years of oppression he says we've got to surprise the white Afrikaners with our compassion and generosity I love that we've got to surprise them with our compassion it's great isn't it so he was really asking them to think big or be big so when it comes to being open and empathic with others what is it that really helps in practice and what hinders are we aware of that so I thought we could pause right now well I could pause, (laughs) ask you to do some work and think, is there someone in your life who you think isn't listening to you or doesn't hear or understand you who you think, you know, why do you think that is and give them the benefit of the doubt just for the next minute have a think, is there someone who you think isn't listening to you and why do you think that is Pin- pinpointed six key reasons why we often don't listen or feel open or able to hear other people or why they don't hear us. So first of all and you know I'd be interested to know if any of you have come up with the same sorts of reasons or guesses. First of all we're, we're uncomfortable, upset, annoyed or preoccupied because our own concerns or needs aren't met. We're kind of lost in our own world Um, perhaps even overwhelmed by our own life so it's very, very hard to hear the other person so that's one thing secondly, we could be in this what I call the either-or mindset Um, so we're in the grip of a deep-seated view that it's either me or you and if it's going to be you it'll probably be at my expense Um, well, if that's the case If that's the case, why would you listen? So basically, when you're in that either-or-all mindset, you're very reluctant to listen because it it, it feels like it comes at a price. And also, this can feel very oppositional to the other person because it's very hard for them to understand what's going on in you. So thirdly, we're we're over-responsible. We think that by listening to your concern and your pains and your preoccupations, I'm going to have to fix it and I don't want to do that I've got enough to do um, so yeah so for another reason I just don't want to hear too much fourthly we lose perspective we lose the overview um, so we judge certain people or certain values as just not that important um, just need to focus on the big picture the task or whatever it is so why do we need to connect we just need to get on with the job yeah the, That's quite a common one. We can also bring this harsh attitude towards ourselves as well as towards other people. So fifthly, we believe that our judgments, our opinion, our point of view, um, our criticisms, that they're deserved. They deserve to hear it. They behave badly or whatever it was. So we're annoyed and basically believe the other person deserves to hear it. Um, So we might generalize from a particular incident to make the person wrong in general. Not just, you don't like that behavior on last Thursday, but just generally they're a wrong, bad, selfish person. So in this we're losing sight of our own values for consideration, respect, whatever it is. And lastly, although there may be others, but in this list of six that I've thought of, We perceive listening to another person's needs or concerns as a threat. So we cut off from that person. We withdraw, probably, to protect ourselves. And there's little awareness of the impact that we're having on them. And interestingly, all of these things can happen under a kind of polite veneer of chit-chat and everything. They're kind of more the underlying elements I'm talking about. And all of these things obviously prevent us from opening up. From really connecting with other people so as deluded human beings of course with our disconnecting habits and emotions and everything of course we're gonna struggle but I really like the Tibetan Buddhist approach um, that Pema Chodron brings which is very much about hey lighten up big deal so you can be mean and irritable and proud and all sorts of things competitive welcome to the human race I, I, uh, I love it. And also you're not alone. Again, empathy helps here. You're not alone. Humor and uh, not taking myself so seriously has really punctured some low moments for me. So how do we develop empathy? How do we, ha- how do we sort of move ourselves forward to really feeling with other people? Obviously, I'm sure we all manage it on a good day and there will be times when you just kind of can't get there or with some people it feels like ah, a great gulf doesn't it so one traditional word for compassion is anukampa um, which translates as shaking or trembling with other people and this suggests a very direct sort of unmediated uh, experience, a resonance you could say or what I often think of as, as an alongside-ness with other people I quite like that I just like being alongside them and you can do that with people you don't even really know or like but you can just be willing to be alongside them and that this whole sort of idea of shaking or trembling with I can kind of really quite connect to I'm frequently sometimes rather embarrassingly choked up by sad or noble stories I hear um, that people share or whatever and it happened the other day in the post office and I could see all these great tears welling up as someone in front of me was telling the story and it's just that resonance with other human beings really.
2: Oh.
1: It also helps to remember um, that the nature of empathy or loving-kindness is unconditional. We all have it, buried underneath all our other habits. No external condition can prevent it. It's there if we're in touch with it and nobody can stop it. So the awakening of love isn't bound up with be- things being a certain way or even how people receive it. You can be <laughs> very loving and empathic to them. and. You know, it doesn't matter how it lands in a sense. Um, We certainly know that from stories of uh, amazing stories you hear of Tibetan monks being tortured or Burmese monks being tortured who still keep their hearts open. So it's not about how it's received necessarily. Obviously we'd like it to be received graciously or whatever, but that's not the nature of it. So another way in is through the imaginal, through symbols and archetypes, and I like, like many people here I think, like to reflect on bodhisattva figures, in particular there's one I'd like to introduce you to today called Kuan Yin, and I've got a picture of her here. She's tremendously popular in China and Japan and um, the Far East generally, and so There are a lot of statues and pictures of her around. Plenty of people will have seen them. Um, Yeah, as I say, she's very popular. She represents compassionate energy, informed by transcendental wisdom. Bit of a mouthful to say. (laughs) Quite a big prospect. So she's both, uh, at once she's serene and ready to act. Um, She eases distress. She melts hardened hearts and she brings balm to the fearful typically she sits in royal ease posture uh, with one leg drawn up and one hanging down, usually with a hand down kind of very mellow (laughs) real sense of openness, ease balance and so on and frequently the full moon precedes her appearance her robes are white and and cascading over her body maybe she's quite often she's as well as in that um, Roy posture that she's there quite often she's standing up she might be surfing on the waves in the ocean Um, yeah so the, the sea is integral to her myth if you like sometimes she's riding a sea serpent so she's poised but she's not precious she's definitely engaged Um, she's said to perform numerous miracles on the sea saving people from drowning or distress in the ocean so a lot of fishermen around um, the uh, Southeast Asia perform all sorts of rituals to her in the hope of a big catch and so on one of her key qualities is accessibility if you call on her sincerely she'll come quite a thought really if you call on her sincerely she'll and her appearance in people's lives is often very immediately um, evoking faith so she appears in many forms but usually as I said serene and gentle carrying a variety of emblems um, a wish fulfilling gem a rosary a vase very often she has a vase there and two of the Statues I have at home have her holding a vase, this vase of healing nectar. A lotus flower sometimes, a sprig of willow, various things. And there's also one that holds a magical fruit of abundance, because she's very much about abundance. So Buddhists around the world uh, revere her as a realized being, the female version of Avalokiteshvara. And uh, she's alive to the inter- interconnected nature of all life. Um, so her name means, she who hears the cries of the world. Um, she also She's also got her own Buddha field, her own pure land, which is called the Potala. So it's in her benign, meltingly kind form that I first got to know her. And um, I was really attracted to her as being having a heart that's as wide as the ocean. And unlike many bodhisattvas, she's not a sort of perfect 16-year-old. She's a bit more weathered. She's um, a mature lady, queenly, uh, with experience and authority. So sometimes just looking at her in this royal ease form, especially if I'm speedy or anxious, just really kind of speaks directly to lighten up. Um, And her capacity to listen is really affecting me. I really aspire to be a more responsive listener so when she listens to the cries of the world she does so on every level, she does so on the practical level Um, she's empathic, she's quick to respond she listens to the cries of the heart as I said um, brings solace and healing and she helps us keep perspective so she's very much about the big picture, she gives the Dharma she pours it the compassion on unenlightened beings pouring it out, the elixir of truth from her vase like moonlight, bestowing blessings there's something very, very beautiful about all that if we allow ourselves to enter the myth, if you like and I was looking at, I've got a little um, statue of her on my shrine at home and uh, I was kind of looking at it the other morning and she's holding the vase up like this, just pouring out this nectar indiscriminately and it's not like most of us well I'll give that to you because I'm fond of you lot and not so sure about you lot so just you know with her it's universal it's equal there's none of this picking and choosing that we're so prone to most of us and I really saw that that particular morning it kind of hit me I've also just recently been loaned a another Kuan Yin statue I've got about five at home and this is on loan anyway but um, it's in my bedroom and it's it's a pale green pistachio colour and I wasn't quite taken with it when this friend lent it but what she didn't tell me and I put it near my bed is that it glows in the dark <laughs> and I and I sort of sat up I just turned my light off that night and I sat up and I thought what on earth is that there's this sort of pillar of pale green light. Anyway, I've been really enjoying her the last ten days, this thing. It's a bit, it was a bit spooky actually, because I hadn't been warned. But yeah, her presence is there in my bedroom at the moment. So just when we think we've got this, uh, a handle on this mysterious being, she comes in various guises. So as I said, the compassionate gentle one is the most common. Um, But like all of these Buddha figures, she can't be pinned down, she can't be fully known by most of us. Um, So she's got various aspects that I think link to the four magical rites. They're known in pagan rituals and tantric circles, these four magical rites. So that's the rite of calm, the rite of abundance, the rite of fascination and that of destruction. So, the first two I've already mentioned, so she definitely has a calming, pacifying, soothing effect, pouring balm on troubled waters. And she's definitely in the kind of meditative non doing mode, or can be. So, secondly, she's got this uh, sense of abundance, as I said, maturing. Um, there's this one statue that's holding a magical fruit, and she's often associated with harvest and richness and pregnancy a lot of pregnant women call on her if they want to conceive and she's often associated with children So quite often she has children hanging onto her robes. thirdly there's the aspect of attraction and fascination so uh, like many of these archetypal figures Kuan Yin is very very beautiful made of moonlight and she th- can appear very alluring Um, drawing us towards the ideal, that's the idea and or she or whoever, whatever person, living person she's manifesting through um, can simply ravish folk Um, there are occasional tales of her being very promiscuous and even as a prostitute I don't know how much to believe some of these, but I'll tell you anyway. And uh, she's in that, in that mode. She's said to use sex as um, a method for awakening. So, um, as a skillful means, it's called. So this unconventional method for awakening. So sometimes she attracts partners and then turns them down, helping them to see through their craving. Um, or sometimes she does have sex with them and after which they stop craving. Their lust just fades forever apparently. And their energies are redirected towards waking up. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and the fourth dimension that I was talking about, the fourth uh, aspect is the warrior. Or the right of destruction. And like a few of these um, archetypal figures, she occasionally comes in fierce form. Fierce figures are often misunderstood. But basically their anger is never directed towards living beings. It's directed towards uh, greed, hatred and delusion. The, the causes of suffering. So sometimes Kuan Yin is stern and she carries a sword. There's a popular Chinese myth in which Kuan Yin is protecting the pilgrim um, Xuanzang, um who's on, on a... On a pilgrimage, you could say, uh, accompanied by a mischievous trickster called Monkey. Some of you may know this story. It's a famous story in Japan, uh, China. And Monkey seems to be an allegory for the ego. So in this, in this tale and others, Kuan Yin is, is a kind of fierce superheroine fighting the forces of hatred and delusion, whisking across the sky with her sword. And Xuanzang was a historical figure who did in fact travel from China to India to um, to get the teachings of, of the Buddha and take them back to China. Um, so clearly Kuan Yin in this myth is protecting the Dharma and its bearer. So what do we make of these various aspects? So we've got the elegant white Quan Yin, this emanation of love. And she's much more mysterious and multifaceted than we first think. But all in the cause of helping living beings. And what we're trying to do, in a sense, is to find that quality, find those qualities within us. That wide, compassionate, fearless energy within ourselves. Because where else would we find her? Where else could she be found? So she helps us realize that the separation that we so often feel from others and from the outside world is false it just doesn't exist and to notice that all the action we take has an effect on other beings So if we evoke a force like Kuan Yin or any Bodhisattva who knows where it'll lead It might start as a simple way of calming the mind a kind of talisman so we can chant her mantra to help center ourselves as I did just before an operation not long ago and and it can really help, that's a very valid way of of using it Um, a way of protecting the mind you could say but going further, if we reflect on the myth and the symbols um, involved if we visualize her faithfully then connecting with a figure like this can eventually draw us to the heart of wisdom So you could say a journey that begins with very everyday qualities like friendliness, listening, empathy, can lead us to profound insights, but to do this we need to open up, we need in a sense a revolution of the heart, to open up to something infinitely bigger than ourselves and we need a willingness to honour life's mystery, to realise that we can't know everything and somehow kind of accept that, give up in a sense. So we're trying to open to the love that flows through that web of connections. Human empathy and also on a deeper level to the supreme love of the Buddhas for all enlightened beings. You know in a sense we're trying to open up to the Buddha potential, the awakening potential that we all we all have within us and then on a good day we can just tune into that great love of the Buddha so just drink it in like a blessing so let's hope in our own lives that we can follow the Tibetan master Tukse Rinpoche's deathbed advice that he gave to his disciples and he said however many times your heart wants to close coax it open thank you very much
0: We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please help us keep this free. Make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. And thank you.